0: This is the Angel Next Door podcast, where we will talk about all things angel investing what it is, who does it, how do we find them, what does it mean to invest in an early stage company. If you have ever wondered how you can affect the change you want to see in the world, then tune in to learn more. In today's special bonus episode, I'm talking with Congresswoman Ann Wagner from Missouri. As part of her duties in the House of Representatives, she belongs to the House Financial Services Committee and was appointed chair of the Subcommittee on Capital Markets. This makes her the top-ranking Republican on all matters relating to capital markets, investor protection, and capital formation. The Congresswoman and I talk about why she decided to run for office and her journey in government service that led her to where she is today. We also discussed the hearing recently held by her subcommittee, where our ACA board member and my friend Eli Velasquez testified. If you haven't heard it yet, I did record a podcast episode about Eli's testimony and how he spent 20 years having the expertise to invest in a private company, but was unable to based on the SEC's guidelines of the accredited investor definition. Part of what we discuss is the economic output of ANGELS all over the U.S., especially in less obvious places like Pittsburgh and, of course, her home district, which includes St. Louis. I did briefly mention in the episode a study done by the Desert Angels in Tucson, Arizona. The full study was done during the 10-year period of 2010 to 2019. The members of Desert Angels invested $47.3 million into 95 portfolio companies. There's several other statistics here around This study, which I will link in the show notes. But the big takeaway is that for every $100,000 of investment, these portfolio companies produced 5.8 direct jobs, $458,000 in wages, and $2.1 million in economic output. It was a great conversation with Congresswoman Wagner. Enjoy the show. Well, Congresswoman, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here.
1: Thrilled to be here, Marcia. It's just marvelous. I'm I'm so proud of the work that uh, you all are doing with Angel
0: Capital Association. So i pleased to join you. Great. So this podcast, I started uh, a couple years ago, really because I wanted to get the word out about small businesses and how can we help them. And angels play such a huge role in that. And the podcast really is about how did people become angels? Why did they become angels? And how can we encourage more and more people to want to help these small businesses? Because we know that so many jobs are created from all of the various types of businesses that are all over the country. So I would love it if you would start by telling us your personal journey to Congress, what prompted you to run, and a little bit about your story.
1: Sure. I'm uh, the daughter and the granddaughter of uh, true small business entrepreneurs. And I began working, believe it or not, (laughs) at my parents' small business at the age of 12. And they owned uh, small retail carpet stores. One was called Carpet Time. The other was called The Last Yard. And it was there that I, I, I really learned the value of of a dollar, a good strong Midwestern work ethic, and and certainly how to treat customers. Customer was was king. And my father would just always say he'd he'd pound a desk, a tabletop, a counter, whatever it was, and he'd say, Anne Louise, all I want is to get the government off my back and out of my way. And <laughs> I thought, love that. <laughs> he said, I want to, I want to provide the goods and services to the community. I want to take care of the employees and provide for my family. And I'll, I'll never forget those words. They absolutely are a part of my DNA. And I have to say that that has informed much of my my work going forward. So I ran for office, frankly, to serve a cause greater than, than oneself. This is not a job, it's a calling for me. And I try to give back to my hometown community That's afforded me, gosh, just every opportunity in in life. And I, I care deeply about the future of our, our children, our grandchildren. I now have three and a, a fourth one on the way. And one of my first jobs in politics was working for President George H.W. Bush, where he taught me that public service is not only noble, but necessary, he used to say over and over again. So it's it's truly a blessing to represent Missouri's second district here in, in Congress, where each and every day I get up to work and fight for those who, frankly, need need our help. Constituent services is very, very important to me, as is building and growing our our small businesses and our entrepreneurs. We've got inflation that is really hurting the pocketbooks of so many Missouri families. We've got crime that's making many of our neighborhoods unsafe. So it's critical that we do all we can to, to address these issues and be responsive, be available to the constituents that I have the privilege of serving. And it's something that my team and I try to embody and uh, take on and, and do week in and week out.
0: That's wonderful. I would love to hear a little bit more about the different businesses in your home district. Oh, gosh, we have have so many different
1: businesses that are are going on. We've got a, a large angel investor startup ecosystem that we've got here in our community, and uh, the early stage investments have really provided critical work for helping entrepreneurs form new companies in Missouri and create a, at the end of the day more local and good paying jobs. Our our region here is is frankly one of the nation's fastest growing startup scenes and is a key driver of the St Louis uh, economy this continued kind of growth that we've seen over the years is only made possible with the help of angel investors accelerators we've got a number of Innovation hubs and schools and entrepreneur support groups I, I'd say some of the most notable groups that Define the the region's Technology and innovation fields here are the St. Louis Arch Angels. 39 North is a big one. Cortex Innovation Community was one of the early ones. The uh, new NGA, that's the National Geospatial Accelerator. And then, of course, T-Rex. Cortex, I'd say, is, is frankly one of the nation's largest innovation districts. And it's been putting St. Louis on the map as really a cutting-edge startup ecosystem. And while we're experiencing great private investment growth in the region, there's certainly more work I think that Congress can do to expand the opportunities for both investors and for entrepreneurs.
0: Yeah, I don't think people realize just how much innovation happens in these cities that are, I guess. What is called the Flyover States, and I I spent a lot of time in Pittsburgh, and that's how I became an angel. Was at an angel group in Pittsburgh, and I was just fascinated at the amount of innovation that was happening right in my own backyard. Yeah, in places so, like Little Rock, Arkansas. I talked to French Hill about that.
1: Who serves with me on the Financial Services Committee, also. They they are um, right here in the in the
0: middle, so it's great to see and be a part of. It is. Now, you belong to the House Financial Services Committee and were appointed chair of the Subcommittee on Capital Markets. So that makes you the top-ranking Republican on all matters relating to capital markets, investor protection, and capital formation. So can you share with us some of the policy items that you wish to accomplish, both in the broader full committee and as well as with the gavel and the subcommittee? Sure. I'm, I'm thrilled to be the first and only
1: woman to ever chair the Capital Markets Subcommittee, which I believe is the heart and soul of the Financial Services Committee. And that's on either side of the aisle. So broadly speaking, I'd say the House Financial Services Committee will going to work hard to pursue an innovation, an opportunity and an oversight agenda. So we'll be conducting rigorous oversight of the Biden administration and and hold its financial regulators accountable, specifically as it pertains to the SEC and the CFPB, while we continue to chart kind of a path out of this really tough economy that Americans find themselves in. When it comes to my subcommittee, as I said, capital formation is an absolute top priority for me and, frankly, for Chairman uh, McHenry. We've talked about it at length and worked on this and have worked to bring a, kind of the issue back to the forefront of our committee's efforts. At the end of this month, can't believe we're already into April, we will mark up a major package of capital formation bills. This package consists of almost 40 bills that are spread across, Marsha, I'd say three different buckets here. The first is public markets. The second is, in fact, small business and entrepreneurs. And the third is the investor, retail investor opportunities. So we've already held three hearings on increasing investor opportunities on both supporting small business and entrepreneurs and in strengthening our our public markets. And on April 19th, we will hold our fourth and final capital formation hearing here early on. And then we're going to mark these bills up in the Financial Services Committee. Many of them are bipartisan, and we're going to then be able to move these pieces of legislation to the floor, so so that's a lot of the legislative work that we've been building up to. In terms of oversight, I plan to hold hearings with the SEC's division directors. I'm going to get kind of peel the onion and get down to that division level to examine this just the deluge of rulemakings that the commission has proposed that have been raising costs and discouraging companies from raising capital in our public markets. So these. These rulemakings are, many of them, many of them are a solution in search of a problem and I think fail to adequately consider the compliance costs and the burden it has and comes to bear on smaller public companies.
0: Yeah. And, you know, as you were talking about the various hearings, the one that, of course, is super soft spot in my heart, is the one that was entitled, Sophistication or Discrimination, How the Accredited Investor Definition Unfairly Limits Investment Access for the Non-Wealthy and the Need to Reform. Now, as you know, we're talking a little bit before we hit record that one of my fellow board members and good friend Eli Velasquez was testifying at that. And I actually did like a short podcast episode just a couple of weeks ago, right after that hearing, to talk about Eli's testimony and just how powerful it was that for 20 years, he was hovering right under that accredited investor definition and unable to participate. So I'd love you to tell us a little bit more about the bill and why it's important to expand the number of accredited investors to support the future entrepreneurs. Yeah, I will tell you that Mr. Velasquez was just an
1: excellent witness uh, in frankly, what was our inaugural hearing in February. So his testimony is exactly the reason why this committee, the Financial Services Committee, is working to reform the accredited investor definition. So despite being involved in the the vetting of hundreds of investment opportunities through his angel group and having the, the right knowledge and experience, Mr. Velasquez, still couldn't financially participate for years due to the current thresholds for, quote, accredited investor status. So I will be introducing the Increasing Investor Opportunities Act. This is a bipartisan piece of legislation that would amend the Investment Company Act to prohibit kind of limiting the amount a closed-end vehicle can invest in private funds. So this legislation will give more private market access to the sum, I think it's up to 3 million retail investors that already rely on closed-end funds as an important source of of retirement savings and investment opportunities. So these funds are strictly regulated and professionally managed investment vehicles that are treated as sophisticated investors, and they can invest freely in privately offered investments that retail investors typically have not had the access or the ability to invest in. So my bill will increase retail investor exposure to to these private markets while I still believe maintaining the the right amount of investor protections.
0: And what kind of vehicle would it be that they could invest in then? What are you envisioning? Well, it could be anything from
1: startups to venture capital opportunities, a lot of different opportunities, I think, that will allow for for this private market access that they've been cut out of because, you know, people have said that they're just not, they don't have the, the sophistication to do this. So I think as our witnesses so eloquently demonstrated... That throughout that hearing, wealth is not a proxy for sophistication and opportunities for wealth creation in the private markets should not be reserved for only the wealthiest Americans. I believe that sophisticated but non-wealthy Americans should have reasonable access to investment opportunities in the private market. My friend French Hill has got also a piece of legislation that would expand the definition of accredited investor to include some of those with certain licenses. There's a sense of, of maybe some could qualify through education processes. I think you all have one that uh, ACA Angel University puts out as a standard for for sophistication around the accredited investor definition. There's there's a lot of really good ideas out there, Marsha.
0: Yes, I totally agree with you. And yes, we do have the Ann and Bill Payne ACA Angel University that has some virtual classes. And we have submitted some information to the SEC to give them some ideas of exactly what you're saying. Could we make it that they, somebody could get a certificate and be able to show their level of sophistication because they went through a certain number of classes or, you know, however it's done. I I really think that one of the biggest things that people need to know is that private investments Uh, it's a risky asset class. And, And yes, we want to be able to say that these private companies can disclose and have the same level of scrutiny of what we would put on a public company, but that's just not reality. We just know that while we want to have as much information as we possibly can about these private companies, they're very small and they're still starting up and changing and things change all the time and they're growing and, and really the best way that we can help them is to get people to invest and also to have a diversified portfolio so that they are able to participate on, you know, with, with multiple ways and multiple levels. Now, my, my bill it
1: increases your average retail investors' exposure to private markets. And I think it's gonna have the protections that we we need. And and there's this sense that wealth, you know, I just don't believe wealth is a it's just not a proxy for sophistication. And we can't leave this these opportunities out there just for the wealthiest Americans. They've got to give them the the access. And and whether we expand the definition of accredited investor to include those with certain licenses or education or job experiences, or we remove unnecessary restrictions on a close end fund's ability to invest in private funds, as my bill does. We've shown that there are many policy options worth exploring that can increase access to investment opportunities without compromising true investor protection. So I'm excited. I'm excited about pulling all these bills together in capital formation. It's obviously a key focus because it's what we came out of the gate with when we constituted the, the new 118th Congress Financial Services Committee. And to get back, finish up that fourth hearing, move to markup, and then most importantly, move to these bills to the floor is is key. And and as I said, a, a good number of them, we're still working at some of the of the kinks, but a good number of them, Marsha, are are bipartisan. So I think we'll have an ability to pass these. I see this whole package as kind of a a jobs 2.0 package. And I believe that our country is built on small businesses and entrepreneurs. And and we have to make sure they have the the kind of of capital investment available to them to, to grow. And we have to make sure that your everyday retail investor, who I believe is much more more sophisticated than we 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 give folks credit for, I should have an opportunity to participate in some of this great new startups and and small businesses and these fantastic opportunities that we're seeing come from so many of our innovation hubs across the country and, and are certainly key in my hometown of St. Louis and in places like Little Rock. And as you said, in Pennsylvania and other places, where they're, they're, they're really key to, to letting people pursue the American dream. So I'm, I'm excited to, to be moving this package and we'll be doing so very quickly. And I thank you for all your great time and for your podcast and your interest. You've been a great resource for us, helping us find good witnesses like Mr. Vlasquez and and others that that really understand the early stage private company and how important this kind of angel capital is in, in growing. So I thank you for that.
0: Well, we thank you for all the work that you're doing. It is, as you say, so important, super critical. One, I'll just leave on this last note. There was a a group in Arizona that did a study of the amount of capital that they had invested over 10 years. And they found that for every $100,000 that the group invested, they were able to create an economic impact in their local community of 2.1 million dollars wow. Wow. and to me that was just like so eye-opening because I just think of all the people that are out in the world right now who really do want to affect change who want to be a part of this and they're not able to because they don't hit that definition imagine what kind of a world we could live in if they could Well, and that's what America does best. I will tell
1: you, we are a a country built on, on entrepreneurs and innovation and boundless opportunities like this. And whatever we can do to grow, to cut through the red tape and to support these early stage private companies, it's really a part of the American dream and something that uh, I'm thrilled that that you all are taking such ownership in and and that I have the great privilege of of promoting and working both to legislate good policy and to make sure that we're not over-regulating some of the opportunities out there for these capital ventures out there. So thank you so very much.
0: Well, thank you so much for all that you're doing and thank you for coming on the show today. It was such a great conversation and I look forward to seeing more that comes out of your committee.
1: We are off to the races. Thank you so much, Marcia.
0: If we wanna be the change we wanna see in the world, we need to invest in the change we wanna see in the world. And what's the best way to learn more about that? Sign up for a class at the Ann and Bill Payne ACA Angel University Classes are offered often. Look at our website, angelcapitalassociation.org, for the schedule. We offer everything from angel investing basics, which include fundamentals, risks, due diligence, term sheets, valuations, returns, and portfolio strategy. And we also get into a deeper dive with capitalization tables, startup boards, and exit strategies. And if you're not already a member of the Angel Capital Association, you can become one for as little as $250 for the year. And that will give you access to discounts, free webinars, networking, and much more. We'd love to have you join us. The Angel Next Door podcast is informational and not intended to serve as legal, tax, accounting, or investing advice. Our speakers and hosts are thoughtfully selected for their educational value but their opinions are their own and do not necessarily represent the views of the Angel Capital Association, and the Angel Capital Association does not specifically endorse the use of presenters' products or services. Listeners of the podcast should consult their own tax, investing, legal, or accounting advisors before making important financial decisions. All warranties, including accuracy, completeness, and suitability for specific purpose, are disclaimed.